I'm going to ask you to turn tonight to perhaps the most familiar scripture or collection of scriptures in the Bible. I know John 3.16 is so well known, but this is probably more beloved and known than that. It's the 23rd Psalm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was in here last night leading prayer, and I just started praying this out. And while I was praying this out uh, for the people that were here, all of us that were here last night, I really felt it quickened in me this is what I was, we were to look into tonight. And I actually had two messages by the time I got to noon today. And I really went home and got some things done and went home this afternoon and kind of wrestled back and forth and said, well, I'll go with the first one and just kind of see what comes out in that. And God began to give me scriptures, and so I knew this was the direction in which to go tonight. And as I got here tonight, I could kind of see why. One of the things we do is when we're going through difficult times and challenging times is we become experts on what we're going through. And I just did that. People say to me, you know, a number of people ask me, how are you doing? I started giving them details. I'm like, what am I, you doing? You know, and I went back in there and had to repent. Not that I don't want people to know. It's just that I started rehearsing things again. And you become, the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. And you go, we go back over things we've already come through. And what we do is we just, we live through them again. And what it is is we get our eyes so much on what we're going through, we lose touch with who He is. We lose touch with not just who He is, but what He can do, what He has done, what He's like. And so we're going to look at this psalm tonight and see how far we get into it. And, and look at this from the point of view is this was written by King David. This was not written by him while he was king. This was written by him when he was a shepherd boy. And he didn't write it, as you've heard me mention before in other contexts, he didn't write it sitting in, in his, as a professor of theology at some you know, university saying, you know, I think I'll write a beloved psalm tonight. He didn't even know he was writing a psalm that thousands of years later we would look back at and take great comfort from. He was writing out of his heart experiences that he had had and what he began to know about his God through those experiences. We don't like to go through difficult times. It doesn't matter, they still come. We don't like to go through suffering and, you know, it's the, the, the faith camp that we belong to doesn't like to talk about suffering, but it's out there and the Bible talks about it. It says in another psalm, many are the afflictions of the righteous. How many of you that written on your, how many confess that? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but there's more to the verse. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Now you can't del- be delivered out of an affliction if you don't ever go through any. Jesus said, in this world, you just might, if you make a mistake, have tribulation. No, he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But fear not, I have overcome the world. There's so many scriptures that talk about overcoming, and we like to talk and get excited about overcoming, but you can't overcome if there's not something you have to have to, have had, haven't had to overcome. There's no victories without challenges. And so there are challenges in life. And David wrote this psalm out of his heart about what he began to learn about his God through watching his God help him and deliver him through times of difficulty. And we know some of the difficulty that he went through because when he was standing there in front of, in front of King Saul prepared to take on Goliath, 
Saul wants to give him his armor to wear, and David says, I can't wear your armor, it doesn't fit me. He says, not only that, I haven't tested it. See, if he's going to go into a battle, you want to wear something you've tested, something you know works. And he says, he says, he said, here's what I'm going to do. He says, when I was out taking care of my father's sheep, he said, I had a lion come after me. That's one of the challenges. You got a lion come after you? And we're not talking about the zoo. I mean, you're out in the wilderness and you are in charge of taking care of your father's lamb chops? Because <laughs> to a lion, that's what they are. And that lion's hungry. And the only stand, thing standing between the hungry lion and the lamb chops for dinner is you. And it says he punched the lion out. Grabbed him by the mane. You've got to have some boldness to take a hold of the facial hair of a lion. Because i got news for you. You know what's close to that facial hair? His teeth. If you've got to reach out and grab his mane, you've got to put your hand near his mouth, and his mouth wants to wrap itself around your hand. So the point of this is there was a boldness that he had. And then to take your fist and hit him, and he defeated the bear, a bear too. That's the few we know about he went through. So his job, working for his father, was a low man on the totem pole, to be living out. They didn't go out, you know, punch a clock at nine, take an hour break for lunch, and then punch back in at four or five. They lived out there for days. And it was David, by the way, was a teenage boy, living out there with his father's sheep during the daytime and during the nighttime, taking care of those sheep. And in the process of dealing with all kinds of situations, threats from lions we know about, bears we know about. We don't know what other threats he may have had. Not only that, then there's the sheep. That's another whole set of challenges. Just getting them to cooperate and go where they were supposed to go. Then getting them to stay where they were supposed to stay so at night they don't wander off and become lamb chops. Then you have to go and get them. So the point is this. David understood what a shepherd was because he was one. And in the process of carrying out his responsibility as a shepherd for his father's sheep, in the process of saving their lives and saving his own, he had to turn to his God and because there was nowhere else to turn to. Couldn't call up his connect leader. Couldn't call up the pastoral staff. There wasn't one. He was out there by his lonesome with all those sheep. And he discovered when it looked like he was alone, he was really not alone. Sometimes in order to really know what God's like, it's got to be you and God. And you've got to find yourself, every other resource you've had is not available. I know when I was going through some of the challenges that I ran into after the surgery, there were some people that I'd been talking to that I, you know, beforehand that were praying for me. You know, it just seemed like they all disappeared. Some of them went on vacation. Some of them got sick. You know, all of a sudden I'm sitting there. And I, was, I don't have anybody I can call. And God began to talk to me and says, uh, "Hello, 
Hello? Maybe it's just you and me. And I realized it's very easy to fall back on people and begin to trust in people. And there's nothing wrong with having people in your lives that you can call upon. But there's some situations sometime in the middle of the night you wake up and it is you and God. And it may be you, God, and the devil. That's when you want God. And so this is the situation David was in. So what we're about to read that he wrote came out of the experiences that he had as he got to know what his God was like, not through theology books, not even just through reading scriptures, but through crying out to this God and watching what this God would do. So we can learn some things through what you may be going through by what this God is like. And notice the whole focus of this is not on David and what he's going through. We can kind of glean from this some of the things he went through, but this is all about God and what God is like and what God will do because David learned to put his eyes on his God and not on what he was facing. And we can learn some things from that. So let's get into this and begin to look at what he's talking about here. So well known that I don't even probably need to tell you to open to it, but we're going to look at it anyway. This is what he wants to tell us about God, whom he knew through these experiences. For the Lord is my shepherd. Now let's stop right there. He's not just saying God's a shepherd. What he's saying is this. I am a shepherd to my father's sheep. And what God has taught me is just as I am a shepherd to my father's sheep, in the same way God is a shepherd to me. I woke up one night, so I was just going to bed one night. I don't, it was several years ago. I was the senior pastor. I don't remember what, it was, where, what was going on at the time. I just know as I got into bed and was about to lay my head down, because this is a psalm I often go over just without even thinking. I just start wake up in the middle of the night and I just start going over the psalm. And as I was laying down, I guess I was starting to go over it, and I heard God speak to me. Because I'm learning how to be a shepherd. I still am. And God said to me, Just as you are a shepherd to this flock, I am a shepherd to you. In other words, everything that I'm teaching you how to be and do and expect you to be to that congregation, I am to you. In other words, God is saying, I'm not expecting something of you that I will not in turn do for you. And this is what David was learning here. David was learning that just as he had responsibilities that involved in some cases dealing with dangers, protecting them. Then there's the mundane responsibilities of just feeding them and watering them and, and guiding them and directing them. And they were always going somewhere. Somebody was always going just about the time you think you've got, got them all together, one of them would wander out. If you've got a family of any size, I don't know if you've gone through this feeling, but sometimes with your kids, because you know when they grow up and they move away, they're still your kids. You still feel this responsibility for them. The, the relationship changes and the role changes, but there's just still a sense of responsibility. And sometimes it's felt like we have four of them. Sometimes it's felt like we got all three of them in the right place, and now the phone call rings, and there's one of them's got an issue. And so it's very rarely you got a point where you know everything's calm. 
And that's what David's like with these sheep. You know, he's just, you know, they're, they're all settled down. And the next thing he looks around and he said, uh-oh, where's Fred? Oh my, and it's getting dark. Fred's not here. So I got to get these secure because I got to go find Fred. So there was just the mundane things of getting the mud off of him. There's a reason why. There's a wonderful book by Thomas Thomas Keller, the book on the shepherd, the Lord, Lord, Philip Kelper, that we have in the bookstore. I hope we have it because I've now mentioned it. And it's a, it's a shepherd's view at the 23rd Psalm. Talks about some of the stuff sheep go through. They can eat so much that they fall over and can't get up, like the lady in the commercial. <laughs> They'll fall over on their back with their legs in the air, and, them, and they can't get up. They're falling down and can't get up because they ate too much. What they'll do is they'll get gas in their stomach, and that gas bloats their stomach, and they can't turn over. And they'll die out there. So, I mean, part of the shepherd's job is just tip them back up. <laughs> And so it's just so some of it's just mundane, simple, everyday, clean them up, feed them, water them, stuff. And and have you noticed just the mundane things of life can get wearisome? We like the sometimes a you know bring on a bear or a lion, that's exciting at least. You know? But just the everyday stuff can just get can be wearisome. And so I'm talking about our lives. And so David learned this. He said that in the middle of whatever I'm going through, just as I learn how to do these things for my sheep, in the same way I've learned what God is like to me. That He's a shepherd to me. He is my shepherd. I love the word my. It's a possessive pronoun. It means belongs to. He's not saying I am a shepherd. The Lord is a shepherd to those that need Him. He's, this is personal to him. The Lord is my shepherd. Now let me ask you a question tonight. Now don't answer it right now, but think about this as we get into this. How do you see God? If you had to describe him, not who he is, because we know he's Lord, we know he's God. If you had to describe him with one word, and I don't mean in church where everybody needs to, you know, we want to say the right things. I mean in the middle of the night. If you had to pick one word to describe what your experience with God is like, think about what word you chose. David chose shepherd. There's a wonderful teaching I've heard. It was done by Tony Cook. And it asked this question. Do you see God as a shepherd or as a taskmaster? Referring to the children of Israel, because they had somebody overseeing them also. And it was... Actually, they were Hebrews that were assigned to make sure they filled their quota of bricks. They didn't care about them. They didn't care about their well-being. They just cared what they produced. Do you see God more as caring what you produced? Or is God caring more about you? Because a shepherd has a responsibility. I mean, the sheep are supposed to produce wool. So they're supposed to produce something, but that's secondary to the shepherds caring about the sheep and the welfare of the sheep. Or do you see God as a taskmaster who's really only concerned with how many bricks you produce for Him and not really concerned about you? Don't answer that right now. 
What you need to look at is how you view him, how you, how, whether you, what you trust him for, or do you feel as if unless you're measuring up, you can't really go to him and be real and honest. So that's just kind of a side thing to think about. So what we see here is King David discovered about his God. Do we have him? Three. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> we'll get more. Because what, what we see here is King David. King David learned to know his God and describes him as my shepherd. Not just a shepherd. He's my personal shepherd. She, the difference, one of the differences between cattlemen driving cattle and shepherds leading sheep, they both have a goal of getting them somewhere. But the cattlemen, the cowboys, they get behind the cows and drive them. You know, you've seen the movies, you know, they crack whips and they got dogs that kind of, kind of herd them around because they're trying to get them from point A to point B. And the only thing they care about those cattle is that they make it there. The cattle sleep roped off in a separate area from the cowboys. A shepherd lives among his sheep, knows them by name, and the sheep know the smell of the shepherd. Shepherd calls him by name. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 10. The sheep, my sheep hear my voice. What they would do is they would take, when they came into a town where they were going to do something, the shepherd to go in there maybe to conduct business or whatever, they would have sheep folds, sheep pens outside. And they, they, you didn't rent one for your sheep. They mixed them all together. And often on cattle drives, they would mix the cattle all together. And the way they separated them out at the stockyards is they went through and they read the brand that was marked on the cattle. And the way they put those brands, of course, is they took on iron with the shape of that brand, they put it in a hot fire, and they stuck it on the hide of that cattle. They marked him. I suspect that wasn't a pleasant experience for the cow. But they didn't brand sheep. Because to brand cattle, you don't form any relationship with them. You stick the thing on, when you're done, that cow wants to get away from you as fast as possible and scurries off and you bring the next one in. The cowboy doesn't care about that cow other than getting that meat to the market. That's all they care about. But the shepherd cares about the sheep, lives among the sheep. So when they mix the sheep together from different flocks in a sheepfold and the shepherd's finished his work, comes out, the way he pulls those sheep out is simply by making a noise. Marianne Brown, when she's been here, has told me the story of being over in Israel and seeing this happen. Because there was a several herds of flock that passed in front of the bus that they were over. And as they got there, there was a fork in the road. And the guide says, watch this. And as, they, as the, all these different sheep from different, different shepherds were together, as they got to the fork in the road, one shepherd went one way and the other shepherd went another way, and each of the shepherds made a distinctive noise, a clicking sound or some sound with them. And when they did, the sheep's heads went up, turned, and they followed their shepherd. 
Now, how did they learn that in school? By having iPod, you know, here, folks? No. The shepherd lived with them, and they got to know his voice. That's why Jesus says, and the voice of another they won't follow. So there's a relationship here. And that's what this my shepherd is talking about. My sh- the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And just see it in right. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, they have needs, but I'm out here alone. I have needs. And who's going to be a shepherd to me? The Lord is my shepherd. Because the next verse is the one we know so much. I shall not want. The reason I shall not want is because the Lord has my wants. Reminds me of, of, of Matthew chapter 6 when, when Jesus, talking about his Father, said when he talks about prayer, he says, don't you know your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him? How does He know that? Because He's watching you. How does He know that? Because He watches your life. He knows your needs before you need them. see them. He sees them coming up before you see them coming up. In fact, when you're praying, He has needs you know. You have needs you know of. He knows you need, but you don't even know you need it yet. So many times, praying in the Spirit, you're praying out for situations you don't even know you're going to face, but He knows you're going to face them. The Spirit knows you're going to face them, and you're praying your, those things through ahead of time before you ever get there. And so... He, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, let's talk about, a little bit about, this is what went off of me when I came home today. What does it mean to be a shepherd? If you read that book, you'll see practical things. But we're going to look at some things the Bible talks about a shepherd. So turn with me to Ezekiel 34. We're going to look, now we're looking th- things from God's perspective. Not our own. What's going on in my life? Where are you, God? Because there were times David did that. We can see in some of the Psalms. We're going to write read here God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to talk to the priests that God had appointed to watch over His people, and He's going to refer to them as shepherds. And the first half of this is what I call woe. Because God's saying woe to you shepherds. I don't know about you, but I don't want to hear the word woe and my name in the same sentence coming from God's lips. That just doesn't have a good sound to me. Now, (laughs) chapter 33 ends by God warning the people about Ezekiel that, by the way, your, your congregation, they're going to get excited at your sermons, but they're not going to do what you say. And they're really no different than people that go for some nice entertainment and come away from that movie or that play saying, wasn't that wonderful, wasn't that a great concert, but it doesn't affect their lives. And so uh, we're not going to go there tonight. Chapter 34, Ezekiel. The word of the Lord, so this is God speaking, came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God. Now, why this is important to us is God is here saying to Ezekiel, you go talk to the shepherds that I've appointed to watch over my people and you tell them I'm upset at them because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. So here we're going to see what God expected of the shepherds. So as we read through this, we can know from this what God's idea of what a shepherd's supposed to do because that means, therefore, that's what God's promised to do for us. You see the connection? So if this is what God expects a shepherd to be, and David said, the Lord's my shepherd, that must mean since God obviously is a good shepherd, God's going to do for us what these shepherds did not do for Israel. You following me? So this is part of how we understand from... Now, it's wonderful to read books about natural shepherds, but this is God telling us what a shepherd does. So therefore, it's God telling us what He wants to be to us. All right. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, verse 2, and prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel, look at this, who feed themselves... Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Now we bring that into our setting, in a setting with a, 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 a minister. You know, it, that's talking about a case where, where, where you've got somebody that's assigned to shepherd the sheep, and what they care about is what they're getting. Whether it's the money, or attention, or position, or prominence, or whatever it is. I get concerned sometimes because there's some of them out there I think that are more concerned about their public reputation than they are the people that God's assigned them to take care of. There, that's another example of taking something for themselves. It's not just the money or the food. It can be attention. It can be anything else. That but the point is, so these shepherds were, were taking the provision God had provided and taking it for themselves first. Okay. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool, and you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. And this is what I wanted to get to, verse 4. The weak you do not strengthen, nor have you healed those who were sick. Well, I don't know if healing is for our day, but apparently it's part of the job of a shepherd. And since God is our shepherd... it must be part of His commitment to us to heal us. He healed those who were sick. He's not talking about sheep that were having emotional problems. Because sometimes people, well, sick doesn't mean physically sick, it means uh, spiritual sick. These sheep weren't having spiritual problems. David's sheep weren't having spiritual problems. Nor bound up the broken nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they had no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every hill, high hill. Yes, my sheep were scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. Now this fits in with what we're talking about on Sundays. Because God also has sheep that aren't yet here in the sheepfold. 
they're lost out there. But in his heart, in his mind, he cares for them as his sheep. And he wants them brought into the sheepfold. Okay. Now let's go over to um, verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, indeed my... What he's saying here is, you didn't do the job, so I'm going to. So here's God now saying, as the shepherd he's taken and accepted into their place, this is what he's going to do. Thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search out my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks his own out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. That's not easy to say, seek sheep. I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out of the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains. So he's going to feed them. In the valleys and in the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them in good pasture, I will, and their fold shall be on the mountains of Israel, and they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture, pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock. I will make them lie down. Verse 16, I will seek out that which was lost, bring back which was driven away, bind up the broken, strengthen that which was sick, and I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. All right. So here's some things that it's saying in here that, that, that a God is mad, is upset at the human shepherds because they didn't do, and He said He is going to do. So this is part of what God means by a shepherd. Therefore, since He is our shepherd, this is what He is committed to us to do. First thing was to feed them. What it took to grow. Those that were weak, that He would strengthen. Number three... Those that were sick, he would heal. Number four, those that were lost or struggling, he would bring back. He wouldn't judge them. He wouldn't condemn them. He would go get them. All right. Now, having said that, we're looking at what God says about a shepherd. Let's go to John chapter 21. Because remember, everything we're seeing here applies to what God wants to be to you and to me. Now, John 21, we're not going to go through the whole story here, but what's happened, of course, is you know this. Peter, in full of all of his enthusiasm and confidence in himself and the confidence of his own commitment, has sworn to the Lord that he would never forsake him or, or, or leave him, that even if he had to go and die with him, he was willing to do that. And Jesus earlier has said in one of the other Gospels, Peter, Peter, Satan has sought permission to sift you like wheat. But this is always good. But I prayed for you. I've already prayed for you. So that when you turn, not if, I prayed you through this, so I know you're going to come out of it. So that when you turn, Encourage your brethren. Why? Because they were probably going to go through the same thing. So Peter, of course, denies him three times. Even when Jesus said he was going to do it, Peter couldn't believe that because he was so confident in himself. And unless we start pointing fingers at Peter, sometimes God has to let us see what our own confidence can do. 
And now, here's the beautiful part. Jesus is coming to restore Peter. And he's going to restore him back to the original responsibility and commission that he gave him. And so after they've eaten and then they realize it's the Lord, it's they're on this beach back up in Galilee where they were fishing. Um, uh, let's start with uh, verse 15. John 21, 15. So when they'd eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now there's all kinds of theories about what he's referring to by the these. I personally believe that what he's talking about is, do you still think you love me more than these disciples love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And we explained to you before, Jesus, when he says, do you love me more than these, he's using the word agape, which is the highest type of love. It's a self-sacrificial love. It's the word that's used in Greek when it describes God's love for us. And Peter's answer is, uh, Lord, uh, he, he says, I love you. Instead of agape, this is phileo, which is like a friendship, a brotherly type of love. So he's not answering with the same level of love. He's not saying, I, feel, I agape you like the way he was saying before. He's now saying, no, the level of love I have for you is not quite where I thought it was. But notice Jesus' response to that. And he said to them, feed my lambs. This is what I've commissioned you to do. Feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Still agape. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. He said to me, tend, tend, tend my sheep. That word is a little broader. It means take care of, protect, feed, watch over, be responsible for. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time, Jesus drops the level of love down to phileo. Simon Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. So Peter's purpose, Peter's calling as a shepherd, as one of the apostles, was primarily to feed. Notice whose sheep they are. They're not members of a congregation. They're not members of a movement. He didn't say, feed my disciples. He didn't say, feed my followers. He said, feed my, my sheep, my sheep. So just as the Lord is my shepherd, I am his sheep. Just as he belongs to me as, a, as my shepherd, I belong to him as his sheep. That's why when Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus appears to him or speaks to him on the road to Damascus and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not my church. Me. Because a shepherd has a personal relationship with each one of those sheep. Knows that some of them need to have their ears rubbed a little more than others. Some of them, like a certain spot in the shade, knows that some of them need this particular, some of them shouldn't eat that particular type of grass. They know these needs that they have, and they watch over them. They have a relationship with them. And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
That's why I know I shall not want. So the result of the Lord being my shepherd is that I have confidence. I shall not want means have any needs. Now let's go on. Let's go back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not have any needs. Want means any needs. Yeah, but Pastor, how come I need so many things? Maybe you need to put your eyes on your shepherd and off of your needs and trust that the Lord's that your shepherd can do what we're about to read. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still or quiet waters. Sheep will not drink from moving water. So he knows where they're... He brings them to the place where they can drink because they need water in order to, to, to be healthy and to live. He leads me... Beside, he makes me to lie down by green, green pastures. That means uh, uh, prosperous uh, vegetation. He leads me beside still waters. I love this one. He restores my soul. So it's not just putting food in their mouth and water in their mouth. He wants their soul to be healthy and well, happy, content, blessed. And if the Lord is your shepherd, He wants that for you. He leads me in the path of righteousness for His namesake. Now notice, as interesting as look at this, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 4 say, say nothing about what you do. Does it? Doesn't say the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I need to do these things. Now this is talking about what He does for you because He's your shepherd. Now as sheep, we've got to follow His leading. Because it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. But if you decide you're going to be stubborn and go eat somewhere else, oh, 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 uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. That means your shepherd, you may want to pull your toes in. That means your shepherd knows what's good for you to eat. He knows his sheep. He knows the kind of vegetation that's healthy for them and that they can properly digest. So he leads them to the grass and the vegetation that will make them healthy. That implies that not every type of grass is what every type of sheep needs to eat. So it's important that you let your shepherd have you lie down by the grass you need to be eating. I see in the body of Christ too many sheep eating in the fields where they want to eat. Eating the food they think they want. Now here's something about sheep that you'll discover from the books. They can't discern good grass from bad grass. They just go by their smell. And they'll follow 
whatever sheep's in front of them. I understand they will literally follow other sheep off a cliff. Because they don't look up and see where they're going. They've got their nose down in the grass. So they can't discern what grass is good for them and what grass is not good for them. They'll just eat grass. So one of the things a shepherd needs to do is to make them to lie down in green pack. Notice it makes them lie down. That implies they don't know where they need to lie down. Now we're talking about God being our shepherd. He knows what you need to be eating. So it's not as simple as sitting there with a clicker going through and saying, I like that preacher. I don't like this one. That's picking your own pastures. Oh, I like brother so-and-so. He can really bring the word. Oh, no, sister so-and-so. I'm not saying any of them are wrong or bad, but you're choosing the grass you eat. Getting quiet in here, isn't it? We like to think we can choose the grass we eat. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He makes me lie down. He leads me besides. He restores. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Those are four things He does for us because He's our shepherd. That doesn't mean we cooperate with Him. That doesn't mean we allow Him to lead us. What it says is because He's my shepherd, that's what He wants to do. And if I allow Him to lead me where He tells me to go, then I will have no want. These are all connected. But if I'm choosing my own grass and my own water, it may be that's why I'm wanting things. Oh, this is really popular. I can tell that. I asked the Lord about that when we were going through the fast. And the last morning of the fast back in April, was it? We gathered together at the end on that Saturday morning. And I just began to pray over the people that were here and I began to prophesy for about half an hour. Prophecy came out. And I got answers to questions in that prophecy. And one of the things that concerns me is the body of Christ is so fragmented because we've got so many things we can watch and listen to and do. And we, choo- we get to choose. We choose for ourselves what's best for us when we do that. And, and I said, God, what's wrong with it? I don't want to try to control. I've got enough to do in my own life. <laughs> And in this prophecy came out, I had this picture out of Ephesians 4. I could see it in my spirit. That his body's fragmented. See, your body only works because there are pieces connected to other pieces that they're assigned to be connected to. Right? You don't choose where your finger's going to, you know, you don't choose where your little toe's located. Well, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, like, I don't like where my ears are located. So I think I'll put them on my shoulder. No, you don't get that choice. If you try to do it now, it's going to be a disaster, believe me. 
God's, your DNA assigned where all those pieces were to go because the master planner knows what they were designed for and where they're going to function best. And that's the example he uses in the New Testament. Oh, this is getting more popular, I can tell. I thought I was going to do something really exciting tonight. Oh, we better move on. Oh, let's, let's get into the valley. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now let's talk about the valley of the shadow of death. First of all, valley doesn't describe a pleasant place. We've talked about this on Sunday before with the mountaintop experience, the valley of the bones, dry bones. Valley in the Bible usually describes something that's happening that isn't particularly good. And, it, you know, there's the valley of Armageddon. That's not going to be a good place. There's uh, other valleys. There's the valley of Jezreel. There's other valleys where battles have taken place. And, and, and a valley kind of describes a low place that you're going through, a difficult place. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, let's talk about a shadow. God's very purposeful here. There's an old expression that really describes it up. The shadow of a dog never bit anybody. But it can scare you. What is a shadow? Let's think for a minute what a shadow is. A shadow is a is a, a, a vague reflection. It's not technically reflections. It's a it's a it's a, 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 something that's cast by light shining on something that really is there. So it's not imaginary. Because when you see the shadow of something, you know there's a real something there. But the problem with the shadow is that what it looks like all depends on where the light is coming from that shines on the shadow. I remember as a little boy um, waking up in the middle of the night, and I don't know why, I think it's partly because my father used to tease me about, you know, goblins and things outside, and he just he had a weird sense of humor. And, and the problem is I didn't think it was funny. And he would do things like that, you know, go outside the window, ooh, like that. that didn't help. So, you know, then he wondered why I was having trouble sleeping. And I remember waking up one night, and I'm as sure there was somebody in my room because I could see a shadow on the wall. Well, it turned out the moon was shining on something outside coming through the window. So here's what a shadow does. Shadow tells you there's something there, but you can't determine accurately what it's like, how big it is, and what it's doing by the shadow. So this is a valley, and it's casting a shadow of death. So a shadow suggests something. So in this valley, the shadow means it looks like, it may feel like, this is a place of death for me, but it's only a shadow of death. It's not, de- it's not the valley of death, it's the valley of the shadow of death. Now that we've got to learn to become spiritually mature enough to not be moved by shadows. So as I grew up, I'll wake up sometimes in the night and I'll see a shadow on the wall, but I'm now a little older than I was, that little boy in there. I don't just say, oh my gosh, what's that? I said, now wait, but there's a shadow here. What's causing the shadow 
And is it outside the house or inside the house? So you learn to grow and begin to ask questions and find out what's causing it as you mature. So, so, so if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, that, in fact, the, the, what's casting the shadow is probably not in the valley. That the valley's where the shadow's falling. And you look at the shadow, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Ever get in the middle of a situation like that? Oh, we're going to die! Well, you haven't, you're still here. Ever had a situation that feels like, this is it, it's over, I can't go any further? Guess what? You did. So I learned to go back over there, because I used to get to those places. Oh my gosh, I don't think I'm going to make it. I go, well, I've felt that way before. And guess what? I've made it. You know, the devil's got a tough job. I don't feel sorry for him. But he keeps telling you over it, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it. And then you keep going forward. He's got to keep drawing another line and saying, you're never going to make it, you're never going to make it. You keep making it. The thing is, we listen to him too much. The valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow. It can't hurt you. The only way it can hurt you is you get scared by the shadow and you bump into the wall. (laughs) Or you panic, which is what he wants you to do. And here's God's answer, because he's our shepherd. Notice what he says. Yea, though I walk, I love this, through. Not into, through. Now, in my life, and I may go through some more, I've gone through some difficult situations, but I came through them. Have you gone through some difficult situations? That means you came out the other side. So though I walk through the... He doesn't say, though I walk into the valley of the shadow of death. Though I walk through it. So you know this much, that if you're in what feels like the valley of the shadow of death you're going to come out the other end. I shall fear no evil. Why? comes back to the first thing we talked about. For you are with me. That's the only thing we know. All I knew going through this, when things began to happen that I didn't think were going to happen and the doctor didn't seem to have answers, and I, and, and I just cried out to God. And the Lord says, I'm in this with you, and I will bring you through it. And when I realized that, I just calmed right now. Okay, everything's fine. We're going to be okay. Because he's going to take us through it. In Joshua chapter 1, I don't, you don't turn there, but that Joshua is facing a very challenging situation. He stepped into Moses' shoes. Moses had died. Moses was called to bring the children of Israel into the promised land, and he didn't get to do that. And now number two is in charge. And the people were already not that easy to deal with beforehand. And now a new leader steps in, and he's got to convince them that he's walking in Moses' shoes, but he's got to become convinced himself first. And so God begins to speak to him. And how about this one? God's first thing that he tells you is, (laughs) be strong and of good courage. Okay. Why? (laughs) If God's got to tell me to be strong and of good courage... He's not just passing the time of day. There must be something I'm going to have to be strong in and there must be something I'm going to have to be courageous about. Three times in that chapter, he tells him to be strong and a good courage and then he always tells him why. Well, one time the people tell him. He always tells him why. For I will be with you. He's not saying be strong just 
summon that strength up in yourself, you be strong because I'm with you. I'm with you. Psalm 37. These are again David's experiences. Verse 23. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. There it goes. He orders our steps. That doesn't mean we follow his order, but he provides the order. He delights in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been young, and now I'm old. This is David's experience. Yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants out begging for bread. Psalm 91. Well-beloved psalm. Also about protection. But notice, it's prefaced on he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Verse 15. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. doesn't say he won't have trouble. I'll be with him in it. And with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. That just doesn't mean go to heaven. That means deliverance, healing, wholeness. And here's the one I want to get to in the, in the, in the uh, New Testament. Um, Hebrews chapter 13. This is so good. Verse 5. Let your conduct, that, does, that means how you conduct yourself, how you, uh, you live, be without covetousness, Hebrews 13.5. He's talking sp- specifically about money, but then the answer is going to be broader than that. Be content with such things as you have. It doesn't mean that you can't grow and increase and make money, but don't get frustrated. Don't be discontent with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me. Now here's a case where if you get into the Greek, it has much greater depth to it. Now let me quickly give you this. This is out of Weist's uh, analysis of this. First of all, the word leave here, I will never leave, is not the usual word that means to leave or, 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 or go away from. But it's a different word that means I will not send back, relax, Loosen my hold, let go of, or let sink. The word forsake is a compound of three different words that suggests it has the idea of forsaking somebody or rejecting or, uh, or suggests rejection, defeat, or helplessness. In other words, it refers to some place or circumstance in which a person may find themselves helpless or forsaken. The meaning of the word is that of forsaking someone in a state of defeat or helplessness in the middle of hostile circumstances. The word in its totality means to abandon, desert, leave in straits, leave helpless, leave destitute, leave in the lurch, or let down. In front of this word, never forsake, in the Greek, are three negatives. Now, in English, if you put two negatives together, you make it a positive. In the Greek, it just reemphasizes it. So what it says is here is, I will not, and the Amplified, I think, says this, I will not, I will not, three times, God says, I will not, I will not, I will not 
let you down, leave you in the lurch, leave you destitute, leave you in straits, helpless, or abandon you. And so it goes on to say, as a consequence, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Now this is what a shepherd won't do. A shepherd will not leave the sheep. Jesus says of a shepherd, a good shepherd, he'll lay his life down for the sheep. Isn't that what Jesus did? He said, a, 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 a man is hired to do this. When the threat gets more than the pay's worth, I'm out of here. Now you heard the expression, you can't pay me enough to do that job. When the lion and the bear came, I don't care what you're paying me, I'm out of here. But a shepherd's not in it for the money. Shepherd's in it because he loves the sheep. So God's not going to bail out on you because he's your shepherd. So whatever you're going through, whether it feels like you're down in the valley of the shadow of death, whatever you feel, you can be assured and confident that he is in it with you. I don't know where he is. Maybe you're looking at where you are more than where he is with you. Because if he's my shepherd, he's in there with me. I need to get my eyes off of what I'm going through and my eyes on my shepherd because he's the one that's going to lead me out. I don't want him to stay in the circumstances. I want him to lead me out. So i got to get my eyes off the circumstances and on my shepherd who wants to lead me out. So what this means is the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? We need to end. Father, we come to you tonight and thank you that when we're awake in church worshiping you, we know you're our shepherd and you love us and you're here with us tonight. But in the middle of the night when we're asleep, you're still with us. Your word says you never sleep and you never slumber. You're there with us. In the midnight, when we wake up and thoughts are running through our mind and circumstances are parading themselves before us and, and the fear begins to rise up in us, you're still our shepherd and you're there with us. Help us to remember you, that you never leave us, you never, ever, 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 ever will forsake us or cast us down abandon us, get distracted or walk off because we're not just your sheep we belong to you and you're not just a shepherd you're my shepherd Father King David learned to know you this way by turning to you in the middle of different valleys that looked like the shadow of death In whatever we're going through right now, may we learn to know you as our personal shepherd so that we can have that same confidence that we shall never, ever lack or want. We thank you for that assurance, Father, tonight from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.